0: C.S. Lewis often gets credited um, with developing the trilemma you know what a trilemma is. It, it, it's like a dilemma, but it's three ways: the trilemma concerning the nature of Jesus. You know It's when he said that uh, "Is he mad, bad?" of lord has he lost the plot is he doing the work of the evil one or maybe a conjurer or a trickster or is he actually the son of god himself well of course that uh, that concept of the trilemma um, was actually developed more than a hundred years before C.S. Lewis was born. Uh, Before he broadcast it on the radio, before he wrote it in the book that is mere Christianity. But the question of who we say Jesus truly is, mad, evil, or truly of God, was present not just a hundred years before C.S. Lewis, a couple of hundred years ago, nearly now, Um, But it's here in this passage. There's three groups of people. One of each of these thinkings. And the first group of people that we have introduced to tonight is Jesus' family. And when I say Jesus' family, I mean... Uh, brothers and sisters and, of course, his mum. Family in that sense of the word. Family in the sense of the word that we are all used to. That sense about uh, blood being thicker than water. Um, That might not be the case as I come to later. It might be physically correct, but I'll say something on that later perhaps. There they are. And this is the first time we've met the family. Because, of course, in Mark's gospel, there's no nativity story. We don't know whether Mark knew the story of the birth or not. It's in Matthew and it's in Luke, which both draw heavily on Mark's gospel. But Mark began with John the Baptist. And we don't have the story that's in John's Gospel of the wedding at Cana, where the first miracle of turning water to wine appears, where, of course, it's Mary, Jesus' mother, that plays a part, saying, go on, go and do it. You know, and Jesus, it's not really my time yet. Leave us alone. But she's like, no, no, just sort it with him he'll keep you all right. So we don't have that bit from the fourth gospel um, and what we instead have the family appearing uh, and the thoughts and actions are here at the beginning in, in the first couple of verses 20 and 21 and then appear again back about verse 31 um, and they have a concern that Jesus is suffering with his mental health. Now, we, used to the backstory of Jesus' family, you know, that bit of the Nativity, that bit of who John the Baptist is, all the Mary and Elizabeth stuff. All the stuff that says, yeah, this is what's happened so far. All the stuff with angels and shepherds and magi. We might go, who's the one questioning their sanity? Particularly Mary. She took those things and pondered them in her heart when the shepherds came and spoke to her. How did they not realize that he is the promised Messiah? And instead they think, what is going on? They say he is out of his mind. They're saying that he's got a mental health issue. And actually that's quite interesting. Because we don't really see that idea of mental health coming out much in the Bible. Of where the challenge is and where people are. Society today still struggles to comprehend it. It still struggles to put resources in place for those that are going through difficult times um, with their mental rather than their physical health. But here they are saying it's an issue with his mind, it's how he's thinking. And they identify it as that rather than a spiritual matter, it's not something about being possessed. something that an evil spirit might do. And so we can see that there, that there's a difference in the family here compared to those lawmakers that we'll uh, get to in a, a little bit. There's a sense there that they are worried about his actual health. And it suggests that there's Um, When it gets later to the casting out of demons, that is seen as casting out of demons and not mental health issues. There is a spiritual battle that goes on. There are times when evil is present not simply in the sense of doing something we understand to be vile but actually something of the evil one something that hinders the coming of the kingdom but the family are not seeing that spiritual side they are saying it's a mental health matter the next group we encounter however the teachers that are down from Jerusalem have a different take and here it is a spiritual side and again it's the first time in Mark's gospel that we've met them now in Mark there has been references already to um, the leaders but so far, it's always been the local leaders. It's been the folk that are in the synagogues of Galilee. The folk that happen to be about and see Jesus. But here in Mark 3, towards the end of Mark 3, it's saying it's the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. now that there's a sense of maybe trouble brewing the big guns have come to investigate and it's just change of peace. They have a clear understanding this is nothing to do with mental health, it's a spiritual matter and they can see that it's a spiritual matter, it's not a confidence trick The problem is they have no current reference for good spiritual matters. They can only think of evil. The Baptist's actions in the wilderness by the Jordan should have awakened them to the coming of the kingdom. To the coming Messiah. But the authorities have been too blinkered in their understanding. I wonder if the same is still true today. It probably is. When we see something going wrong in society, do we blame those people? Or do we consider what's actually going on, leading to that situation? The media sometimes gives a particular narrative that will sell papers or attract viewers, rather than help society discern the truth and address the issues that harm us. And Jesus tackles this. Jesus points out that bringing healing and wholeness, restoring people physically, mentally and spiritually is not an evil act, but one where evil is being tackled. It's binding up the evil one. The evil situation such that good is done. That God's will is done. Do the people see this? Do they understand? No, they don't awaken to it. Or at least not most of them. Anyway, not the makers of the law from Jerusalem. And of course, as he teaches this, he speaks of an unforgivable sin. And that is something that we sometimes struggle to grab hold of. Firstly, we we might simply take it that all sin is forgivable. And then we might say, what if I'm guilty of this sin? that is unforgivable. Over the centuries, it's caused some people a lot of pain and a lot of worry. What if I've blasphemed the spirit? What if I'm guilty of this? But the fact that they know the spirit of God, the fact that they're questioning, have I gone against it? actually awakens a sense of, "No, they've not." And if they have, they've repented and they embrace the Spirit. It's probably better to, to focus on the preceding words. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. We can be forgiven everything other than turning from God, other than blaspheming the Holy Spirit, other than denying who God is. If someone is faithfully seeking to be the Lord's, even though they know that they're still making a mess of that journey, then they can be forgiven whatever has happened in the past when we choose to be his we are cleansed and of course that was part of what we were talking about this morning when we had uh, Peter Holloway from Prison Fellowship You know, whatever that prisoner has done in the past whatever we have done in the past that makes us a prisoner of sin we can be forgiven and receive new life there are consequences for our past actions in this life but the Lord loves us and welcomes us whoever we are whatever we've done and we have to um, see beyond sometimes what we've done ourselves And move forward with that. And see beyond what others have done in the past. Or see beyond what our first impression of them is. And discover that the Lord has love for each person. And calls us all to be together. The third group we meet in the passage tonight are the crowd listening to this teaching of renewal and hope. The group that maybe see something of Jesus as Lord. They're seated around in a circle. And he declares that if they do his will then they are his family. They are his mother and brother and sister. When we come to the Lord and receive the Holy Spirit, we are adopted by the Heavenly Father. And Jesus, the Son, is our brother. And here we come back to that thing about maybe water is thicker than blood. When we are adopted into the family and are baptized in the name of Christ our Lord, we we have that new family relationship. That water of baptism binds us in a new way. A way beyond um, the family that we are born into. no more simply citizens of earth but citizens of a heavenly realm that we enter through the water and the word so three different categories mad bad or lord I'm almost tempted to say here, mad, bad, or dangerous. Because that's who we should become. That's how the authorities saw Jesus. They saw him as a danger. Because he was changing things in a way that they didn't like. He was challenging the structures that they held up. He was saying, you don't get it. This is what God wants. Dangerous not in the sense of bringing a physical weapon. But dangerous because it was bringing God's kingdom on earth. Is he mad or bad? Arthur Conan Doyle's famous sleuth Sherlock Holmes once said when you've eliminated the impossible whatever remains however improbable must be the truth. Many of the people We're trying to get a grip on who Jesus was. Jesus was not mad. And he was not possessed. And therefore there is another explanation. An explanation that the authorities and that the family could not see. Even though all the evidence had been there before them. This is the truth of the situation. Jesus is the son of God. Through him, we may be forgiven and receive new life. Through him, we are family. So let us be his family. A family that sometimes has disagreements. A family does not always think the same way. But we are bonded together. And we do have the greatness of the love of the Father that makes us one. Amen.